Off the ball. There seems to be more sympathy for Argentina and support for Argentina. And a lot of that has to do with love for Messi's last dance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. The Saturday panel on Off the Ball. And you're welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. We're on air until 8 this evening, an extended show because we're showcasing commentary of Ulster against La Rochelle and the Heineken Champions Cup. So we've got the lowdown on books from Maliki Clerken. What about those who like visual sport, though, over Christmas? Plenty of Premier League games, rugby action as well, but most of us love a good sports documentary. And who better to talk about sports documentaries than Ross Whitaker, who is behind Katie and Katie Taylor, A Grand Year, the Rachel Blackmore documentary, The Boys in Green on the Charlton Years, films on Shane Lowry, Barney Curley, Mark Pollock and the late Anthony Foley, to name a few. Ross, you're very welcome to the studio. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Yeah, great to see you again. And let's just start maybe a bit of background and your own experience and what you're looking for when you uh, do a sports documentary. And maybe when you sit down as a neutral observer, what are you looking for when you watch a sports documentary that would interest you? It's such a funny time because the proliferation of sports documentaries is like nothing we've seen before. Right. Just, there are so many of them that it's like, it's funny. And I was talking to my wife before I came in here and she's like, oh, you're going to mention the Neymar doc. I was like, oh, God, yeah, there's a documentary on Neymar as well. You know, it's like, Which they'd have to update after what happened. In- yeah. And there's, there's a messy doc that came out about, what, 18 months ago. Okay. So like that's, there's a whole other one of those going to be coming down the line. So there are so many um, and which were kind of spoiled, I think, at the moment for choice. You know, you kind of go, oh, I watched the Neymar one or I watched the Messi one or, God, you know, Wayne Rooney has one or whatever it might be. So there are so many. And and I think that has made it really, really competitive in the world of sports documentaries. The bar has been set really, really high by things like Drive to Survive, Bad Sports, Untold, you know, these series that are on uh, various channels. I know Apple TV are looking at going into production on a couple of series. I'm sure Netflix are going to have more Drive to Survive. There's a Six Nations one coming. There's a tennis one that's been shot. There's a golf one that's already been shot. You know, these it's just everywhere. And the competition is huge and people are looking for iconic people or teams. You know, that, that's one massive thing. Um, access is has always been a huge factor, you know, and then storytelling and story. So is the story there? If you look at say the Ronaldo soccer documentary, the original Ronaldo. The Very best, good. The best Ronaldo. It's brilliant, but really it's brilliant because his story is brilliant. You know what yes. I mean? And he's there to tell us. So you've got an iconic guy telling a great story and then it's really well made. So like these are kind of the factors that I suppose you're looking at both when you go to make one and also when you go to watch one. So the talk to rock stars about their influences. Were there sports documentaries that influenced you in terms of making them and also being motivated to do it? Sure. I mean, I think the biggest one was When We Were Kings, which was kind of around 97 or so. And then around the same time, we had like a year till Sunday locally, you know what I mean? And that was just... All we footballers. Yeah, it was yeah. phenomenal, you know. And and so the combination of those two things was, wow, a sports documentary can be in the cinema and can move millions of people. And win an Oscar, which is Win it an Oscar, absolutely. And I mean, the story behind that film is incredible. It took decades to make, you know. And then the beauty of it sometimes is like the audience doesn't know how long it took you to make it. They're just there on the day and they want to watch it. And it's new to them. Um, Year Till Sunday was phenomenal. So you kind of had a mixture of like this big iconic sports documentary, but then also seeing there's someone doing this locally. It can be done. If you get out there with your camera, uh, you can make films yourself. So it's probably... There's probably loads of other ones I'm forgetting, but those two stand out in my mind as kind of being the ones that kind of made me think, I'd like to do that. It's like finding oil uh, when you strike gold at a documentary like the Galway thing. It was 32 years since they won the All-Ireland and they have all this footage now, but they won it. So they they really stru- stumbled upon it in a way. 
because of, they took the uh, the opportunity. But in terms of making one then, Ross, like how long does it take? How much ends up at the cutting room floor? Um, do you have editorial control? Uh, do you have a big team with you? The sausage making, as it were, into a documentary. Uh, is there a de- set template? Yeah, well, that's quite a lot of questions, John. <laughs> no, there's a huge amount of factors and it changes film or program or documentary by, by documentary. But like I just finished one last night um, about Ireland beating the All Blacks in the summer series uh, earlier in the year, which was, you know, a phenomenal achievement. Only three other countries have ever done it. Um, and we made that in about six and a half weeks. Whereas, you know, I've made other, I'm, another documentary I'm trying to finish off. It's not strictly a sports documentary. I think I started it 10 years ago. So, like, you know, there's there's all sorts of, of different approaches, I suppose. And those approaches can lead to different time frames. Um, speaking about the All Blacks one, a, a kind of fr- a old friend of mine and, and now colleague on this film, John Sherwin, uh, he does a lot of filming with the RFU and he was down there filming behind the scenes. He had the footage. So the footage is there, you know, dressing rooms and training sessions and, and everything. And then, you know, in the middle of the summer last year, I was like, oh, God, you know, I've had a great year so far. What am I going to do for the rest of the year? And I saw he put some footage up on social media and I rang him and said, are you, are you thinking about doing anything with that footage? You know, that, that's actually a great story. And he said, I was, I was thinking about it, yeah. So we decided to team up and, uh, you know, the RFU, you know, happily got on board, thankfully, and, and, and uh, got behind it. And then RTE uh, said they would do it too. So, um, but we had to scramble because it's in the Christmas schedule and you have to deliver it for today so they can do the subtitles and they can do the <laughs> quality checks and all that kind of stuff. And the editing as well. And then you've access all areas in terms of the players? or Well, yeah, basically the RFU provided the players. So we got to interview all the players in depth about the experience of it. And, and uh, so we interviewed about 12 players in the end because when you're in that time frame, you can't have too much stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you're literally going to have to go through every single word of it and figure out what to use. But uh, yeah, interview the players have all the behind the scenes footage of course the matches uh, through Sky and so on and, and and then other bits and pieces that you bring together to kind of try and tell that story and it's pretty pretty enjoyable one. Is it what 90 minutes? Oh the one this uh, All Blacks one is an hour long for RT. An hour long. It's on the 29th of December. And and how much would be there say in the in the raw materials six seven hours or oh god way more than that right. like yeah I mean between the interviews and the behind the scenes footage you're probably talking between 20 and 30 hours and that's not even a lot for a doc like that you know like a lot of people doing these kind of observational films you know like sports stories told over a long period of time are hitting hundreds of hours wow. you know and, um, and then the, the box do you go into the box and edit or are you just direct uh, what role do you play or do you get other people to do that I don't strictly edit it right. you know there will always be an editor in the case of this All Blacks one we had to have two because we just had so little time so they took half the documentary each right um but, yeah, and I mean, one of the, the beauty of working with an editor is you, you're putting two heads together. You know what I mean? So, you know, if you and I are working together, you're going to have all sorts of ideas of your own and you want to promote that and you want to hear what you have to say. And, and, and you know, sometimes like there's a lovely little sequence in the All Blacks one where John Murphy, who some people will have heard his name around a, a lots of uh, documentaries and films in Ireland, he's a very successful editor, you know, said, oh, you know, have a look at this. I'm not really sure if it's working or not, but uh, have a look at this. And it was just a, a sequence that he'd done. And I was like, that's pretty cool, John. We'll stick with that. Yeah. Sounds like making an album almost. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, it's a real collaborative process. And I think the more you can be open to everyone else around you, the better it's going to be. So you started off, was it the St. Saviour's? Uh, yeah, that was back in... 2005 we started filming that that was kind of my first thing just pick up a camera and go and and we filmed in a boxing club for a year and a half with my friend and colleague at the time Liam Nolan the two of us did it together it was just the two of us 
and uh, that was kind of the first foray into it. And Darren Sutherland, would, Sutherland, who went on to win Olympic medal, would have been one of the boxers. And uh, it was just, you see, in a funny way, though, I think those kind of documentaries are on, you're going to see fewer and fewer of them. You know, it's a documentary about an unknown boxing club featuring unknown boxers. And even though there's actual real things, I'm always interested in this word stakes. And I think we spoke together a couple of years ago and I probably said a similar thing. But, you know, what are the stakes of each story? Because that's what you're looking for. That's where the, the drama of life is, is, you know, if there's nothing at stake, then there's, there's no drama. But um, in, you know, I was watching a bit of Drive to Survive the other day and, and you know, the guy says, you know, the stakes have never been higher than this. <laughs> and you're thinking, these are a load of rich guys. Lino Messi on Sunday. Yeah, well, the stakes, <laughs> but those are all sporting stakes. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if, if your uh, wife is ill or your child is ill. Some or of the ill, humanity here. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like the stakes are all kind of... Uh, confected in a way and that's why we love it you know it's because stakes they feel really high but actually it's it's a drama that's uh, unfolding in front of us and um, in a way that's the, the beauty of, of sports stocks but when we filmed Saviors the stakes were really in people's lives you know one of the people we were following was um, was at risk of being deported from the country uh, another person that we're following you know he's kind of trying to be successful at boxing to improve the, the opportunities for him and his life coming from a background in, in the inner city. So, like, those are real stakes in real people's lives, you know. And, and in a funny way, as I watch more and more sports stocks, I'm sometimes like, well, we're, we're being given all these, like, high-stakes things, but um, they're really high stakes within a sporting context, and we can really enjoy that. But, you know, we're seeing fewer and fewer of those kind of docs that are, are about real stakes in real people's lives. How difficult or e- easy is it to get someone to open up to camera? Because obviously you want the gold, as it were. You want the emotion. You want you don't want uh, it to be a wall of somebody really not just giving you anodyne quotes or something. So if you're talking to Katie Taylor or Rachel Blackmore or Shane Lowry, is there a process? Is it just a case of, look, we want your buy into that? How does that work? Yeah, well, you, you hope to have that conversation at the very beginning. Okay. That's one thing I've learned is, you know, if you sit down with Rachel or you sit down with Shane, first of all, you want to have that meeting where you go like, we're having a conversation now about levels of access. We're having a conversation now about what you're willing to speak about. And I suppose trying to explain to people that unless you show a bit of yourself, it just really won't be interesting to anyone. And there's probably no point for either them or for me as a filmmaker. So... Those are the kinds of things that you have in that conversation. I remember I had lunch with Katie at the very beginning. And, and honestly, I was actually slightly, well, I was quite starstruck because I, I, even though I'd met her a few times, you know, you're sitting down. We all are. Someone. Yeah, you know, and, and she has a, an aura about her. So, but you're sitting down opposite someone and you're saying, like, I want you to tell me about your life and, and to be willing to speak about it. And in her case and most people's cases, they kind of get it. You know, they go like, well, if I'm going to, there's a reason why they're coming to the table too. If I'm going to participate in this and talk about my life, then, you know, I understand that I need to kind of be real. I mean, that was Katie's thing. It should be real. Um, And, you know, Andy Farrell said the same thing a couple of weeks ago. We were, when we were interviewing him and we showed him the film a couple of days ago, you know, he said, well, I want it to be real, you know. But there's also a difficulty for sports people, though, because in doing that, there's a lot of risks, you know, risks in, in how they will be um, seen by the audience, but also risks in their professional environment. How will, in Rachel's case, you know, trainers view them after this? How will the jockeys view them after this? 
you know, in the Irish rugby team's cases, like, you know, you don't want to do anything that might upset relationships within the camp. A year out from a World Cup? Yeah, a year out from a World Cup. So, like, there are risks. And and as a filmmaker, you have to be, I suppose, aware of what you're getting into and aware that that these are real people with real lives as well. So there'd be sometimes you go, actually, we're not going to put that on it. We're not going to put that out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're looking, (laughs) you're always trying to, look, my job is to push the volume up to 10 out of 10. You know, and then sometimes you have to be realistic and, and compromise a little bit and pull back from that and, and say, well, is this thing that might seem really sensational or whatever it might be, is it actually part of this story? You know, the one that we're telling. And if it is, then, you know, we have to make that case to the person. And if it isn't, then maybe it's better for everyone if, it, if it's not in there. From all your documentary making, was there one moment when you're behind the, the lens or when you're, when you're going, wow, about what's being said right now? Yeah, probably loads, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, that's the beauty of the job. I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend it as a job from a financial point of view, but from a job satisfaction point of view and, and getting to meet amazing people point of view, it's, it's, it's great, you know. But, like, I remember Katie, uh, one of the f- early filming days that we did, you know, I'd, I'd interviewed her and, and um, you know, obviously the big kind of specter over that part of her life, for, for, for want of a better word, not even sure I fully know what the word spectre means. But anyway, at the time, the, the, the controversy around her life was her relationship with her father, you know, back in, in 2016, which is when I would have been doing this interview. And, you know, I'd done an interview about how it felt to have moved to the States. And that was trying to, that was kind of our first kind of trip over to her and trying to get a sense of what her life was like there and getting an audience to understand that she was there on her own and that was completely different for her and all these kinds of things. And at the end of the interview, I said, you know, I think that's all the questions. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? And she said, well, you haven't asked me any questions about my dad. And I said, oh, do you want to talk about that now? She said, I think we should just do it and talk about it now and, and then we feel like we've talked about it. And, you know, I suppose it was a case of maybe in advance of the interview, she thought, well, this is, she'd kind of maybe built herself up to it a little bit or, or whatever it might be. I don't know. I don't want to speak for her. But, you know, at that point, she was completely open. And uh, it, was, it, it was, I found it very emotional to, to listen to her talk about the difficulties that she had in her life at the time. And, uh, yeah, you're just, you kind of don't know what to do or where to go after something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's just quite emotionally affecting. Yeah, you just, maybe you just have to just let it happen and, um, just observe and, and listen, I suppose. You're, you're a listening filmmaker at That's the time. That's it, you know, and, and uh, sometimes people want to just talk and, and, and that kind of thing. And then and uh, then you kind of go back and watch it after and say to yourself, did that actually really happen? I need to watch this back, you know, and, and, and see. And then, and uh, you know then when you have that kind of buy-in from, I mean, look, Katie's an incredibly special person and, and very, very smart about so many things but like she really got what we were doing and um and to have that kind of for her to be that open is is just kind of an amazing gift to someone who's, who's trying to make a film about you i watched the boys in green and the barney curly documentaries really enjoyed them and they're more historical stories of, of the past and 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 even for people who didn't know these characters and these people at the time um even if you didn't live through it if you're younger um as they, they seemed really fun to to watch were they fun to make it's so fun to make. You know, both of those were incredibly fun to make and, and for different reasons. I think the boys in green, you're kind of being given an era. You're like, here is 1987 to whatever, 1995. And it's probably one of the most interesting eras in recent Irish history. Like Ireland is changing. 
we're suddenly being successful at things, you know, and it's all been captured on camera. You know, everyone's in love with the Irish football team. So there's cameras around the whole time. There's all this footage. And, uh, and it was also kind of a time of like um, a little bit of a mushrooming of interesting Irish music and stuff and things like that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of, a lot of bands, it was kind of an era of like there's a lot of bands around and stuff like that. So you're playing with the music. You've got a lot of this great footage. And then they're great characters. You know, they're sporting characters from a different era. People like Tony Cascarino um, and so on. You know, they, they just, their lives were more interesting in a way than the kind of athlete that comes through now, the academy system and is given media training and so on. And that's not to say those people aren't interesting people or curious people, but, you know, their life path to there is just very, very different. And, uh, yeah, so it was incredibly fun to make, incredibly entertaining. Um, and, you know, when it came out, it was, I think, the week before lockdown and it was when everyone was just kind of going like... <gasps> You know, we were on nostalgia. Yeah, it was uh, like vibe at the it time. It just seemed to be what people needed yeah. at that moment, and and to make something and have that kind of response to it is also like really enjoyable uh, and fun. And and now in this, I don't know if we're almost in a post Twitter era, but <laughs> a few years ago, like you know, a lovely thing is someone can kind of reach you and say like, oh, I really enjoyed that, or ask you a question about it, and things like that. Like that's one nice thing. You know, it's obviously a lot of negatives to social media, but you can kind of interact with people as they're watching it. Um, Barney Curley, you know, you know, is a story of a kind of really fascinating man who, amongst other interesting things in his life, pulled off this massive horse racing coup in the 70s. And uh, we interviewed him at length. And very sadly, you know, he died quite soon after. So you, you felt like you had a lot of responsibility to him then as well and, and to his family, lovely family. Um, and obviously, you know, for them, it was kind of quite a raw time you know so, so you're, you're kind of interacting with them as well and making sure that you're telling a story that that captures him you know you're not trying to make it anything other than that but it's just it's like making a heist movie you know and, and that's how you're kind of leaning into that and you're trying to enjoy that and we did reconstructions like we didn't have the budget like a you know Ocean's Eleven budget <laughs> but it was we tried to reconstruct but the was, horse race but it was a more a quiet track uh, and uh, yeah yeah, at least ten. That was the story. Yeah, yeah, that he that he, he kind of found the, um, you know, sometimes like things like this don't happen where you might expect, and it was in the quiet track of Bellystown where no one would be watching that yeah. that he managed to pull off the coup, and uh, and then Bellystown were like really cooperative and and really allowed us to film there and everything like that's that. Great. So yeah, so you kind of, you know, people were on board, and and that's just really enjoyable. So, horses, horses are amazing. So well, filming horses, is yeah, great, and know. as you did the Rachel as well. So, Drive to Survive, uh, Amazon's like all or nothing. Uh, the whole sphere, as you said at the very start of this, Ross has completely changed. Do you enjoy these documentaries? Are are, are there? Are you plugged into them? I am. Yes, yeah, some. I mean, I find it hard at the moment, like because you know during all those lockdown periods, we just watch series after series after series. And Last Dance was, was on everybody's. Yeah, I mean the Last Evening Dance list. Was phenomenal. And he's a brilliant filmmaker. His Andre the Giant film. Did you ever see that? Didn't see that. No. Oh, it's, and it's this what we're the, having this conversation. We do this okay, over Christmas. Sure. Well, it's, I'd say it's one of the best sports docs of the right. last five years, easily. Um, he's done a Greg Norman doc now about uh, Greg Norman sort of falling apart at Augusta back in the day in the in the U.S. Masters Golf against Nick Faldo. I haven't seen that one. I'm dying to see it. Um, sometimes you hear about these films; they happen over in America, and then you, you never quite understand when are they going to arrive here. But um, I'm sure it's available somewhere. But the uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're phenomenal ones. And I think what you see is certain ones to me stand out from the crowd, you know. And I, I like Drive to Survive, but it's almost a bit more like an entertainment show in, in a way, you know. And I mean, one of the ones that really struck me in the last year was Athlete A. 
I don't know if you saw that about no. the kind of scandal around abuse in, in US gymnastics. It's a phenomenal series. Like Harrowing. really, really brilliant. Harrowing, which is also really well made, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes if you're doing documentaries that have a journalistic aspect to them, you know, it's hard to not make it kind of a little bit like taking your medicine, you know what I mean? But it's really, really well made. Um, another series I watched in the last year, but it probably isn't quite from the last 12 months, was the, the Tiger Woods uh, two-parter. On Sky? Yeah. That was very, very good. And that was Access again, like Rachel Uchitel, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, Access, but not him. And yes. Uh, you know, didn't need him, though. You I did, didn't. I did. and, and I wonder about that because, you know, you have your Wayne Rooney doc, you have your Arsene Wenger doc, even the, the Ronaldo doc. In some of these cases, would these films be better without these people? You know, because the great thing with the Tiger Woods one is everyone, you know, the, the, the filmmaker, you know, essentially is not compromised, which I think people often are, by the fact that you're essentially in a partnership with the, the iconic person that you're telling. And maybe of. in the Michael Jordan case, people might have felt it went a bit too far and that Michael was running the shop. Yeah, I mean, that's really hard to know, isn't it? Like, and, and I know some of the players themselves were, were upset. I suppose the danger with the person not being involved is they don't get the right to reply. Now, maybe they do get the opportunity to do it. But if they, I'm not so sure Tiger Woods was that happy with that documentary. But sometimes if you have a life that's not perfect and nobody's life is perfect, you are going to be a little unhappy. If Of course. And people always want to kind of have a, a sort of a sanitized, pure version of, of who they are when they're a massive you know, iconic figure like that. But I was thinking about it, you know, I think it's almost the difference between the the uh, the autobiography or, or the authorised biography and... The biography. The biography. So like Phil Mickelson's, as we spoke about Maliki in the last hour, yeah. Alan Shipnook, or there was one about Tiger a few years ago. So yeah, it is, there's two different sides to it, isn't there? And you get, you get, you get something from one, you get the real personal story and then you get the third person. You get the, the anecdotes from people that might not be in a good relationship with the person anymore, the subject. So that is fascinating. Absolutely. Um, 30 for 30, I thought, was a, a groundbreaking series that ESPN did. And there's so many great documentaries that came out of that. There was Once Brothers about the basketball players. There was The Two Escobars about um, Pablo Escobar and Andres Escobar. The band. That was yes. about the band that, that the, the band that kept playing or well, I can't remember the title. I think they did like, the move was the, the Baltimore to Indiana, Indianapolis yeah, wasn't it? The, it was the American football team. 9.79 the, the yeah, 100 metres. The dirtiest race in history. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, Hillsborough once again if you talk about tough subjects but how well it was done and they the kept on going through the whole of the most not, not only the tragedy but the post um, uh, situation with Hillsborough and the, the, the search for justice. Uh, there was one about Terry Fox, the man who died of cancer and, and right, uh, yeah. he was running, or not running, but walking across Canada into the wind. There's so many of them. There are so many. And actually, the, you know, Daniel Gordon, who did 9.79, yeah. also did Hillsborough. Yes. And, and if, you, if you want to watch a good film, just look at what he's done because <laughs> he's yes. brilliant, you know, and, and he's done so I many. He did the Ronaldo films. one recently. Ronaldo uh, no, Nazario. Ronaldo, um, was not him. Was uh, Anthony, uh, oh, what's his name? Anyway, he also did the Being AP doc, which I thought was great. Yeah, Tony uh, McCoy, yeah. Anthony Wonka did uh, AP McCoy and Ronaldo. Uh, he's really, really great filmmaker as well with lots of good films. Um, yeah, yeah, there's so many, you know, and I think ESPN maybe have, our, and the 30 for 30, and that idea has probably been what's led to the proliferation because what you're seeing now with a lot of sports people is they're saying, oh, you know, there's other people out there that have had documentaries made about them. Why not me? Right. Whereas I think up to 30 for 30, it was very much a closed shop and a closed door. And Very few, you'd have to think. Yeah. It was maybe risk, Senna. Uh, Senna's even since 30 for 30. I mean, it, it's yeah. the risk 
it's the risk reward I think for an iconic sports person is you know the risk is um, you know I'm allowing someone into my life and I may not like everything that comes out of this uh, but the reward is I may reach so many more people. Uh, there may be a financial reward in, in them becoming even more famous. You know, like you can see what's happened to Formula One. Like Formula One has absolutely taken off on a but whole it's, other it's level. it's brought a completely new audience into the sport. Usually. In a way, it's revived the sport and it's a game changer for the sport. But can you imagine like 10 years ago going to the tennis tour or the golf tour or the Six Nations and saying, "We this is what we're going to do. All access documentary we have editorial control, not you. Or this is what we're going to do. You know, people would laugh you out of the room and say, "Well, why would we ever do that?" And then now that Formula One have done it, it's almost like sports. I can't speak for them. I don't know the negotiations that happen, but like we have a tennis one, we have a golf one. Um, I, there's talk of a Six Nations one, from what I can see in the papers and so on. So like clearly something a switch has flipped and these global broadcasters like Netflix and, and Prime and, and stuff like that can bring stories to a global audience yeah and I think it's also important to point out that it's important that the truth is told uh, within these stories if, if, the, if the, there's not too much control in it I'm fascinated given you talked about saviors at the very start of this uh, where your career started Ross who would be the Irish sports star you'd love to do a documentary on that you haven't for example who's the most compelling potential subject for you I think the one that everyone wants to do will be Roy Keane, okay. isn't it? You know, I mean, but it's funny, you know, there has been a lot of Irish sports docs and I'm certainly not the only one that's, that's been making them. There's plenty of people making them. There's We have a Kevin Moran one coming soon. There's a Liam Brady one coming soon. I mean, Liam Brady's, I think that's a fascinating story. Um, so there's tons of stories, but you could still name plenty of people that you'd still love to make a documentary about. Like there's Brian O'Driscoll, there's Roy Keane, there's Paul McGrath. You know, pretty soon when Leona Maguire wins the Open next year or whatever it might be, there's going to be a Leona Maguire documentary. Uh, the women's soccer team are going uh, doing amazing things. Like, there's, there's loads of Irish sports documentaries. What would it be about Roy that you'd like to get the colonel of, I suppose? It's such a, he's so interesting, isn't he? I mean, I think it's it's really... His books have been done. Roddy Doyle did a book. and Yeah. He's on Sky all the time. and It's just the, just the material, isn't it? Like, to be able to ask him really specifically, you know, on camera about things that happened in his career. Like, I mean, incredible performances, you know, but then we have all sorts of relationship breakdowns within United, within Ireland. I mean, maybe it's all been told, but people would still want to watch it. Yes. I would still want to make it, you know, and, and he's just, you know, never, he's never unfascinating, if that makes sense. You know, it's just, he's electric on camera and it's such a funny thing because, you know, when he was a player, we all probably thought of him as a kind of like a shy man and, and so on. But he is electric on camera. And, and maybe the first time he was was to Tommy Gorman, potentially, you know. That's yeah. maybe the first time he was. Lake or Gale, by the way, have done a great service, haven't they, for the country with all those stories they've told from the I mean, the these are great archives as well, yes. you know. But even during the, the Charlton era, there was, there was two or three docs made at the time, you know. So, like... There's all these great archives. I mean, I don't know where they're all kept, but like, I'm sure, for sure, TG Carr have done lots of amazing stuff and they'd have all that stuff banked. But yeah, it is. It, and it just, look, we love to watch them. So, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll keep getting made, I suppose. So what do we to look forward to? Tackling the All Blacks over Christmas or TV and uh, the story of that amazing win in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's December 29th. I don't know, you know, the RT Awards are on this weekend or, or probably tonight as we speak and and uh, you know we've got the Irish women's team and, and the Irish rugby team I mean how can you sort of choose between the team of the year there but like the achievements that the Irish rugby team have 
you know, achieved in New Zealand is off the charts. Like, no one has done that in 28 years. You know, a professional team have never won a series in New Zealand. New Zealand, I know Ireland are number one in the world, but New Zealand won, you still won the, the you know, the, the Southern Series there with, with the other um, Southern Hemisphere teams. Like, three countries before Ireland have done it. Like, none of the home nations. Like, that's an unbelievable achievement, you know, and, and I'm, gl- I'm delighted that they kind of agreed to, to let us tell that story. Off the ball. There seems to be more sympathy for Argentina and support for Argentina. And a lot of that has to do with love for Messi's last dance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.